Welcome to A Voice from the Hills, episode number four. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in beautiful Austin, Texas. And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Thinkery CEO, Andy Bell, and Chief Advancement Officer, Shalea Fox, for a wide-ranging discussion on philanthropy, advocacy, and engagement. The Thinkery is a 40,000-square-foot child engagement center. Its mission, inspire the next generation of problem solvers who combine creativity with a passion for discovery to develop those future leaders dedicated to innovating within an inclusive and respectful environment. And both Andy and Shalea are uniquely qualified to speak to the issues and opportunities facing donors, development and engagement officers, and board members and executives. And they're also ready to talk to the unique challenges inherent in working with children and other underrepresented populations. Our goal is to help everyone listening become a better donor, a more powerful and effective advocate, and to really feel the joy that occurs at the intersection of engagement and impact. So let's get started. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. I thought we'd get started with our traditional introductions, but what I've noticed in working with people in the industry and working with our clients is that philanthropy kind of starts with a spark. Everybody mm-hmm. has that spark. So as you give your introduction and your background, if you could just help our audience understand what was the spark that created your wish to start that charitable journey? Shalea, why don't you go first? Sure. So if I could think back to what was the defining moment that led to my spark was realizing that the community had a role to play to improving lives of those in foster care. And so my journey with philanthropy really started with a nonprofit that I founded about 10 years ago. And the opportunity to see the impact of what is possible when the community comes alongside, invests their time, their talent, their resources in making life and the pursuit of um, happiness, if I could, for foster care youth possible, it was really exciting and inspiring for me. I don't know that I understood the value of philanthropy up until that moment. And it was really at that point that I decided that I wanted it to be a career that reflected my passion and something that I was going to personally devote my professional expertise to pursuing. And when I look at philanthropy, it's really that power that it has in creating equity in society and creating more access to happiness in a way that systems don't necessarily allow. When you look back through society and you think about all the ways in which it can function inequitably, it really is those organizations, those civic opportunities to really create that balance and create that equity. And philanthropy can move society to make changes that it may not necessarily be ready to make. And so When I think about philanthropy's power, that really is what excites me most and what keeps my spark going. Joining Thinkery's team has been a bit of a dream. It is such an inspiring space for many reasons. You walk downstairs and you see people, young children just exploring and having so much fun as they're playing and learning. And 
I get to partner with individuals and corporations and businesses and really creating that experience to as many young people and children in uh, the greater Austin area as possible. And so it really is all about how do we make access to high quality education that is STEAM-based and inquiry-rich available to all children who who we know need it and want it. And so philanthropy has a really big role to play. And it's amazing to be able to curate and lead that in a space like Thinkery. Well, we appreciate you joining us yeah, very absolutely. much today. And Andy, how about you? I think it's so important for individuals to put time and energy into really understanding what that spark is for them and that passion. And for me at a really early age, it was clear that it was education. Both my parents were teachers. I studied engineering and went through science and and math education in a very formal school setting and learned that a lot of our current approaches don't inspire an interest in a field that is really important for us as a society. And we look at the types of jobs and opportunities that are going to be out there. And I took it upon myself to find opportunities at different points in my life to to get involved in a different way to approach education with hands-on project-based things, with an inquiry focus. Kids are are naturally creative and we have opportunities to, to tap into that natural curiosity in a playful way. And for me, I got a lot of pleasure and um, satisfaction and, and impact in finding ways to volunteer in educational settings and classrooms that led to me becoming a philanthropic with organizations who had proven their impact in this space to complement our formal education system with these informal engaging, fun experience. And I feel like I've just had a really phenomenal opportunity professionally to actually follow my passion in hands-on STEM education and not only be a donor, but to get involved in organizations by serving on boards and now to have the opportunity to lead Thinkery, an organization that is providing that spark and the types of experiences that kids need to prepare them for the dynamic world that they're going to enter and to try and find ways that we can reach those in the community that have traditionally been underserved. And now on the other side of the donor, going to find individuals and companies and corporations who are committed to making a change with their time with their energy and with their contributions and to be able to really match someone's interest and passion with efforts that are transformational in the local community is just critical for the way that we are going to drive more equity in our communities and make a a true impact for the, the lives of those around us. And so like many people who've taken the charitable journey and kind of switched roles over time, I mean, you really started as a donor. That's exactly right. So I started as someone in the the tech industry and found opportunities to be a donor, to be a philanthropist, to see ways that 
organizations, I think we're making great use out of contributions to see the power of partnerships in different nonprofits and collaborations to scale that type of impact. And then a role that, that folks can play as a donor and getting involved on boards and to get involved with their time as well as their dollars. We can support impactful organizations in the community that are really driving systemic change in critical areas that that individuals are passionate about. And just to stay on that topic for a second, because this is really important. So for people who are donors, how do they, and they're really passionate, want to do, they want to donate not just their resources, but their time and their passion. How do they get the organization to see them? How do they connect with that organization? Because we find a lot of our clients, that's one of the difficulties involved in the process is connecting a willing donor with that organization. How do you reach out to them? How do they connect back to you? Yeah, I think that is a, a really great question. I think as a an individual really interested in giving of their time and learning more, I think there's no way to overstate how important it is for our community to check in and ask, how can I help? I think that it, there's this thought that that there is a channel with which it should happen and which, which the connection should be made, but it really could be as simple as reaching out and, and asking, how can I help? I think that there's enough social media, if anything, it really provides really fantastic ways to learn about the organizations that reflect our own philanthropic passions. I think the best way to do it is, is to do some research, follow the ones that really resonate with you and take the step reach out and say, hi, I'm here. I would love to be involved. How can I help? I think giving is one way to be on an organization's radar and it's an important one. But that volunteer leadership that's showing up is so incredibly important because here's the deal. You as a person who is saying what you're doing, your mission resonates with me and aligns with my own values. That is so meaningful to hear that from an organizational standpoint, because it says what we're doing is being received positively, so much so that they're taking time out of their day, their lives to reach out and say, how can I help? And I think it's that first step. It could be volunteering just as a you know traditional volunteer. It could be volunteer leadership, which is so critical, serving on the board, serving on committees. If there's a community leaders council, I think that there's no way to understate that value. And really, once you decide that it is an organization that you do believe in and that you do want to spend your time with opening up your network and your community to to bringing those folks into that organization is incredibly valuable. I, I think about how nonprofit organizations really had to shift how they engaged with their donor community and their community as a whole. Events are really hard. And I know that a lot of people utilize that opportunity to engage and to give and to learn more about what an organization is doing. But I think we're going to see a shift. I don't know that events are going to be it. So reaching out and providing other ways that an organization can tap into your community are going to be critical to the sustainability of the organizations that people love. And so, again, following and finding ways to volunteer and connect and just ask, say hello, schedule a coffee with the executive director, the CEO, the chief advancement officer, development directors. I mean, that there's no better way to make the day 
of a volunteer coordinator or even a development director was saying, how can I help? So I think it's as simple as that, truly. We had spent some time with our clients on developing their own charitable mission statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I developed on, mine after uh, speaking with you yeah, about that. Yeah, on your own personal level. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we noticed, I mean, I, I really love how the Thinkery has done theirs, where you break it into your mission statement, mm-hmm. but also your vision statement and then your values, which is kind of unique. There's not many organizations that are doing it in that level of detail. But what we found is that it's not just developing that mission statement, it's then communicating it to the people that you're working with. So in your position working in the Thinkery, when you have a willing partner or you have somebody that's going to reach out to you, how do they do that? What's the most effective way for someone other than getting on your general donor base or buying a membership or or something like that? What do they do to really connect with your organization? I think that one of the just critical elements to start that engagement is this recognition that individuals can make a huge impact by deciding that they are going to get involved. And so I just want to build on this great conversation and dialogue and recognize and acknowledge the importance of making that first step and also recognizing that while there are a lot of different ways to begin with an organization, starting that engagement and using that to build on as you move forward At Thinkery, we try and make engaging with us as open as possible. And so there are many different volunteer opportunities. There are ways that you can give to the organization as a whole. There are ways you can get involved in specific programmatic areas that we're focused on. We work with many different corporations in the local community who facilitate volunteer engagements. And I think that's a great trend in the philanthropic movement that we're seeing is that companies now are embracing and supporting time for their employees to be able to follow their passion and their spark to get involved. And there are um, opportunities to tag on to something that exists or to propose something within your network that this is something I want to do individually, or I want to bring a small group together, or I want to bring a large group together as you move forward. But you can typically find those opportunities on websites. So you can go to our website at thinkeryaustin.org or other nonprofits' websites and find those ways that you can get involved either as a donor or a volunteer. Yeah, I think one thing people don't understand, even as a as an employee of a larger organization, is how much empowerment they have to direct the charitable mission of that larger organization. I mean, we see it over and over again, where somebody's truly passionate about something, they can be a, a fairly low level employee in a large organization, mm-hmm. but they can really make a difference. And um, I think that gets to the fact that corporations and businesses are, are organizations of people. And to your point, it excites them when someone, an employee comes to them and say, I feel really passionate about this organization. It is aligned with our priorities as a corporation. And here's why I think you should support them. I think that's the sort of guidance most corporations want within their corporate responsibility as they're building out their strategic plan for how they're going to invest in the communities where they live. So yeah, there's no way to overstate that importance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the people that you work with, how how long do you think it takes to turn a brand new donor into a truly engaged donor? Is there a length of time? Is there a particular journey that someone 
goes through to get there? Because we, we see a lot of our clients that are donors, but not engaged right. donors. Yeah. Maybe they're giving loyalty gifts or they're, mm-hmm. they're doing stuff out of habit, but they haven't quite got that intersection of engagement and impact. And yeah. I, how, how do you see that transforming? You know, I think that that is such an, a great question. And I think it one that is, it varies depending on the donor. So one of the, my most favorite recent quotes that I've heard about giving is that fundraising happens at the speed of trust and you can't speed that process up. There's really no way. And because there are people who give out of loyalty, they've already had that trust built in. And it's really about making sure that you are staying connected to them so that they know that it is their time to give, right? And there are donors who just simply want that. They want to get that end of the year letter appeal. They want to get that annual report. They want to be reminded that, hey, we're here. We're still doing good work. Thank you so much for your support. It's time to give again. But what we're seeing with the next generation, it's if I could say, and I don't say that around age, but just this new wave just of mindset, exactly, so of philanthropists, because I don't know that there's ever been an easier time to be a philanthropist. There's GoFundMes, there's all these crowdsourcing. And I, I want to say is if you are giving, it does not matter the amount. If you are taking from your pockets or your time and you are giving to an organization that is mission-driven, you are a philanthropist. And I think what we're seeing in this new wave or this new vision around giving is that people, they want that they want to be loyal, but that loyal comes after they understand the impact of their gift and they understand how it relates back to their values. And so that right there, that trust building, it takes time and it really is up to the organization to be really thoughtful in the ways that they continue to communicate. I think it also depends on how they come to know you. Do they come to know you as a guest of a donor or current volunteer at an event, which events aren't necessarily happening in the same way that they are, or do they give first? And depending on how they come to know that organization, that length of time can vary. And I think that an organization that understands that there's no timeline in building that 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 trust so that fundraising is impactful both ways. If they know that, then they're not in any hurry to really grow that relationship, that they understand that it takes time and it's a really wonderful journey when it happens the right way. Well, and the thinkery as an organization is kind of in a position to become involved at a very early stage of a child's life. Absolutely. And I, it was interesting on your website. I, I, I like the fact that you talked about how you worked with 460,000 children last year and their parents <laughs> and the grownups, I think is the way you <laughs> said it. I thought that was really unique because I remember when we were new parents, we had all these anxieties, all these uncertainties. How are we going to give our kids the education mm-hmm. that we hope that they get? How are they going to understand how to be inclusive and Mm -hmm. how are they going to be motivated toward, I guess it was STEM at the time. STEAM seems to be a little bit more of of a newer concept, but so when you think about that, you've got all these different groups of people that you're kind of focusing on, but you could have a child that comes in very early and be working with them throughout their entire adolescence under different programs. How do you keep someone engaged? How do you keep that population engaged throughout that entire period of time? It's such an important question, and it speaks to the larger importance of partnerships and the the educational system and the role that someone like Thinkery can play. 
we look at the the needs of the community first and foremost and there are just some some heartbreaking statistics that are out there only 50% of children in Austin are kindergarten ready and the number goes down to 36% when you look at low income families and when you look further out at the dynamic world that they will be entering it's estimated that 65 percent of the jobs that are going to be available for kids don't exist today. And we, we know one thing about those jobs, though, they're going to require an underlying set of skills like creativity and problem solving, uh, critical thinking, communication and collaboration. And so our role at Thinkery at a very early age, as you articulate, is to create that spark and love for learning that can be the first step on this long journey. And it's so important to begin very, and and we can't stop though, as we create that love for learning as kids grow and progress. And it's part of, I think, why we have focused so much on meaningful partnerships with other organizations in the community that continue to work with youth as they grow and, and develop and, and move forward. But we, we know through our research-based practices that if children start out behind, their chances of catching up are so much harder. And the role that we can play as an institution that is there for both caregivers and kids is a way to show and model that learning is fun that open-ended inquiry and creativity are fundamental skills that we want everybody to have and to build on, and that parents do need to play an active role in the development of their child, whether it's in a children's museum, whether it is following up on projects at school, whether it's on other endeavors from that side. And we are very excited and passionate that our work is with the entire family and really empowers an opportunity for growth and development in such an important area. So the inclusion of the adults in the program is both intentional and and vital, right? I mean, if you don't have buy-in, it's really tough, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, for any of us parents who've ever had a a child that fell behind in math or fell behind in any any program, we can sympathize with that. Imagine being behind to start mm-hmm. and having your economic reality be the reason why you're behind. Yeah, And, and I think donors hearing this and, and people who've been fortunate enough to have been provided a, a great education or, or somehow found one for themselves and they're looking for a way to, to pay it forward, looking for a way to really focus on that. I know in my case, I was the first person in our family to graduate from uh, college Maybe not the first one to graduate from high school, but close. But I was the first one to graduate from college. And once I did that, I noticed that I think six out of our next eight eligible people in our family actually graduated from college. And you get that kind of like, you don't really understand what that, you know, what that means Mm -hmm. until it happens to you. But you have to have that first generation that all the other generations can model themselves after. And it's programs like yours that make that happen. And then Shalia, you talked about showing up in your community. And that really kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. 
How would you describe that to the average donor or the average person who says, wakes up one day and says, you know what? I, I haven't done a good enough job being an advocate for what I care about. I haven't done a good enough job donating my time, my talent, mm -hmm. and my resources. I, I need to show up for my community more. How would you recommend they do that? I think showing up for your community is something as simple as looking around and seeing what you think the need is and then going to that organization or that community school, the school that's down the street from you, even if your children are, you don't, you don't have children or your children are already out of that school inside it's just showing up and saying, what do you need and how can I help? I think understanding that, especially in a place like Austin or any city around the, around the country that is experiencing tremendous growth and at, an expense of that tremendous growth is that people are being displaced and people are getting um, access is being impacted. And so if you are a part of that growth, then you have a responsibility to offset and understand how can I be a part of a positive aspect of the growth that's here. And that really starts with looking around and say, what am I supposed to be taking? What is my responsibility here? And I think that something in terms of what Thinkery is doing, and if I can stay on the subject of schools, because I think public education, which you just shared about your own family experience, it can completely shift the what's potential, what is possible within a generation. I mean, that's the power of education. I don't know that there's anything else available to us, any tool available to us that can transform a family's story within a generation. And so if we can think about that power and we can think about somebody who's waking up in a new community or just waking up to the idea of what it means to show up, access to equitable education, no matter where you are in your city or in your life, you we have a role to provide that to young students. And what Thinkery provides is an inf it, in that informal space, it helps fill the gap of what the education system can't do and is failing to do for many reasons. And also what parents for many reasons aren't able to do to be able to know that your young child or that you are contributing to a place either through your time or your treasure so that there's this space where the young people can go and to be inspired and grow as a learner and they can take that growth and that inspiration and it could change their lives in a generation. There's no greater responsibility as a citizen in any city in this country and to no affect and no greater opportunity, no greater. So I think that is what you do is you look around and you say, where is the need? And I think starting with schools and education is really si simple and not so simple. Right. But then just a natural place to start. I will also say that it matters about what is important to you in your own lived experience, because you may show up one day or one month, but what's going to keep you coming is that it reflects what is valuable to you. You know, before I came to Thinkery, I was a member. When Miles, my six-year-old, was six months old, I became a member of Thinkery, and I became a better playmate. I learned, I mean, that connection that we're talking about between grown-ups and children, that is real. And because I am educated, I am confident I would have found it elsewhere. But the space to be able to play, to explore, to not do things right, to have the blocks drop, to put something in the wrong hole, that 
Miles watching me figure it out on their own, it made us better teammates and figuring life out. And I think that that is a space that every parent deserves to have with their child. Well, that's a transcendent space too. That's not... Yeah, exactly. That has, that has no tie to anything Absolutely. else other than your relationship between you and your kid. Which moves on, which happens. It, it starts or it has a moment of time in one space, but then it continues at the dinner table and it continues on the car ride home. So it's pretty powerful. And so if showing up is something new and you really are wondering where does that start, I think our schools and our education spaces, you can't go wrong, but it does have to reflect your own personal values. Yeah. Well, I'm a child of public school. All my kids have gone to public mm-hmm. school and we've had you know, tremendous success. We're very happy in what we've gotten out of the public yeah. school system. But by the same token, I think that we had privilege that allowed our kids to be ready when they went. Mm. And so what you're telling me, Andy, is that 35% of the lower income kids are ready to start kindergarten, which means 65% aren't. Mm. And to me, I always learn things when I do these podcasts with people who, who work in the environment. I mean, that to me is just a stunning stat. And so if I were talking to donors out there and talking to people who wanted to make a difference in education, I would say, well, help these kids start on an even playing field. Mm-hmm. It's truly heartbreaking. And it is the opportunity, though, that donors have to help scale and bring these experiences and programs to those who need them the most. And so that's true at Thinkery and it's true at other organizations, but we know the impact that we have on those who are able to take part in our museum experience, who are able to take part in our camps, in our Little Thinkers preschool, and where we work with donors and corporations and and foundations is on the opportunity for us to expand those impactful experiences out into the community or to provide access to those to come to Thinkery who might be in a, a family situation that doesn't have the means or even awareness that those exist and are, are important in this process. And that is the, the moral imperative that I believe that, that we have as a, a community to, to really make that impact over this next generation. Yeah, I think certainly in the areas of the community where we have more privilege than others, we really underestimate the value of things that we take for granted, like transportation. I mean, I remember attending a seminar. You may have been there, actually. It was a gentleman who had been incarcerated, who lived over just on the other side of Riverside. He'd been incarcerated during his incarceration. He ended up graduating from the University of Texas. You probably attended one of his lectures. And he said, "I, I spent my entire youth and adolescent life living two miles away from the University of Texas, but it was a world away. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like it was a part of my community. I never felt like I even had the ability to get there. Mm. That's always kind of stuck with me. It was one of the things that kind of helped us focus more toward that other parts of education, because in order to be educated, you have to, you have to be there to get educated. I know uh, COVID-19 certainly has, has been a real challenge uh, 
you know, real challenge for you guys and for anybody who's trying to bring groups of people together and understand you guys have done a, a whole lot of work to try to meet those challenges. Maybe, maybe now's a good time to kind of talk about where you are with that and how it's affecting different programs and, and what you see going forward. Yeah, the learning deficits that we're seeing from COVID-19 are only compounding the challenges that we've been talking about. And it scales from social emotional gaps and, and needs to, to fundamental learning gaps that, that we're seeing build on top of the challenges that were already there. And so as a, a trusted community hub in Austin, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, we immediately looked at the role that Thinkery could play in the community, knowing that we had to close our doors but knowing that overnight parents were becoming educators on top of their day jobs without any background and that the majority of the help they were getting in online or virtual learning was not engaging. And so we're making the problem even harder through just worksheets or through watching videos and screen and tech time. And so we invested our talented educational team into a set of free resources that we called Thinkery at Home that allowed for hands-on activities to happen in the home environment with readily available materials that you would have. We created a kit, we called it a Do Make Create kit that had everything you needed for 10 hours of rich, hands-on science, technology, engineering, arts, and math activities that you could take to your home and to supplement the learning that was happening. But again, the, the equity divides of those that had access to uh, internet, to those that have access to devices was extremely large. And so we worked with our community partners to help get those kits into the hands, again, of those who needed them the most. So we worked with Boys and Girls Club of Austin. We worked with El Buen Foundation Communities, the Ronald McDonald House, and others to be able to provide those kits to their communities, the families that they were serving in these essential times. And it was only through the charity of our donors and our supporters who were able to step up and fund and sponsor us to be able to create these freely available online STEAM activities, these kits that we could provide out into the community that allowed for... Um, not just Thinkery, but many other community organizations to partner together to try to address these challenges. The other thing that I would highlight from the, the pandemic that was an opportunity for, for us was, was really a chance to step back because our doors were closed and because we weren't able to do all of the impactful programs that we had done before to really reflect on what we were doing that makes the biggest impact in the community. And as we rebuilt, to be very intentional about understanding who we are, our strengths, the community needs, and what we want to double down on. And some of the things that, not that they were bad ideas, but that investment in those areas could be shifted to another area that's even more impactful. And that led us to launch Little Thinkers Preschool last year in our space, in our Meredith Learning Lab Museum space so that we could continue to build on our educational expertise in early childhood education. We did it in conjunction with the UT Lab School and researchers at the University of Texas so that in that space of Little Thinkers Preschool, not only are we providing 
this spark and this start on these children's educational journeys and paths, but that we are using innovative best practices that we can then share out into the community. So we are part of United Way's Success by Six Coalition, and we work with Child Inc., Safe Alliance, and other programs in the community. And we provide professional development based on our best practices and our educational expertise on how their programs that are reaching a really wide range of families in the community can benefit from this approach that is engaging, that is proven, that is based on research to make that impact. So the pandemic for us was just an opportunity, I think, to become even more connected into understanding that community need and for us to invest in those areas that are going to make the biggest impact through partnerships and collaborations. And then to provide opportunities for donors and clarity on how their supportive thinkery can be transformational in us scaling these programs and growing these programs to reach more of the community that we want to reach. And to stay on the topic of collaboration, I read your letter that you sent to kind of your open letter during the Black Lives Matter movement. I thought that was really compelling and powerful. And then I started looking at the vision of Thinkery and what they were doing. And then I noticed the partnerships that you were bringing in to help add that inclusion factor into that discovery factor, the innovation plus inclusion and Talk to me about those partnerships, Shalea. How much value do you see in bringing in these social justice organizations and these empowerment organizations Mm -hmm. in with an organization like Thinkery and having that combined effort? What does that add to the experience? I think that what it reflects is our core value in making sure that what we offer at Thinkery is equitably accessible to all children and families in our area, in the greater Austin area. And I think the realization that we ourselves can only do so much from the museum perspective, we can open our doors, we can say, please come, all are welcome. But if we don't have those intentional, meaningful connections with the trusted organizations that communities go to in their time of need, in their time of celebration, in their time of community, then they're not going to know that this is a place for us. And here's the deal. By having these relationships in place, we are building a culture of belonging within our museum. But that starts with meeting them where they're at. And we do that through saying that we are supporting you because the organizations that you trust, trust us. And so by the time they come to the museum, that there's, there's no daylight between the understanding that this space is for them and everything that's happening in here is, is, is for them as well as any other young person that they might imagine to be a beneficiary of the great and education and opportunities that happen within Thinkery. We are in Mueller. You said earlier that you couldn't hurry trust. Yeah. But hearing you say that, maybe that's this is a lesson for other organizations out there that by collaborating with organizations that have already built that trust, mm-hmm. maybe you can hurry trust. I think that what you can do is it's not so much to me as a speed factor is that it's almost the vouching. It's understanding that if this organization who I know has my back 
is trusting Thinkery, then I can trust it. And I think that's just the beginning. That might get them through our doors, but will that get them to come back? Will that get them to enroll their children in the preschool? Will they come back for summer camps? That's the part that can take some time. The other piece, too, is that we accept the responsibility of being in a location that is a part of exactly what I was saying is this a part of this changing landscape of our city. And with accepting that is the responsibility that we want as the landscape is changing where we are located, that that also changes to make sure that those communities are a part of that narrative. And as we grow and as we expand our services and what we offer within the community, that we're doing it in ways that is responsive to community need. And that is something that Andy led with when we started this conversation is that everything we do, we know that what we do is necessary. We know that what we do is impactful and we can do it in a number of different ways. We've just told you a fraction of the programs that we offer, but every community has different needs. We cannot assume that we know what's best for them. And that starts with listening. And when they know that we're listening and that we want to respond in a way that's meaningful to them, then that's when that trust happens. I think that it's within our fiber and who we are as an organization that every young person that comes and they're, they're grownups that come through the door, they see themselves represented and they see themselves as belonging and deserving of what we have to offer because they are. Oh, wow. That's great. Now, Andy, I've, I've looked at your background a little bit. It's pretty fascinating. You've been all over the world. You've been South America, China, Vietnam, and, and doing global global outreach in the in this area. What are what are some things that you've learned as you've gone outside the United States? What are some things that other countries do well, or other populations do well that we can learn from? I think that there are some commonalities across different cultures from an education perspective, and there are some real differences also. I think when you find a culture that prioritizes education, you can see the direct correlation and results from that focus. But the approach to education is so critical. And as we have discussed a little bit, when we look at the formal education system in the U.S., there is a lot of focus on standardized testing, on having a right answer and a wrong answer. And in some regards, that's beneficial because it ensures that you have clarity on what's happening in a common way and form. But on the the flip side, it creates a mentality that actually is counter to the types of skills and kind of open-ended critical thinking that uh, we know is really important for kids as they grow and progress. And so when you look at other cultures that have embraced a more open-ended educational system and have prioritized these hands-on learning experiences at an early age, that has translated to more impacts in the experiences and opportunities for some of those students as as we move forward. But there are ways that the experiences that that we're creating are very similar across the world. When I worked at Lego Education and we were developing global programs where we could use play-based, hands-on learning to inspire kids, we did it in a way where language uh, was not an impediment 
where you could use natural intuition, you could use this natural love for creativity and, and learning that exists. And I think that that's something that we can build on. And there's really incredible research that's available that would allow us to center future educational programs on that mix. Some of the conversations that we've had with educational leaders and in formal learning in the, the Austin community superintendents of school districts are really inspiring. And there's a, a strong interest and belief in the opportunities that do exist to marry formal and informal learning and to involve families in education and to, to bring hands-on STEAM-based experiences into the curriculum. Dr. Telly, the superintendent at Del Valley ISD, that is almost all Title I school, is so committed to the, the role that education is going to provide in the transformation of, of their students. They are moving towards having every student in Del Valley get a field trip experience at the, the pre-K and kindergarten level to Thinkery. We're working on ways that we can create professional development for how you can bring these experiences into the classroom. They have an incredible new partnership with Tesla and with ACC to create technology skill-based learning for their high school students, for the types of jobs that Austin has from that perspective. So there's a lot of opportunity and, and hope that we are on a path that can make a difference. But these are programs that are not traditionally funded by our current education agency. And and, sure. and this is where there is opportunity to get involved and to volunteer and to become a donor to, to make a true impact in the scalability of those programs. And then as you're proving them out in, in your area, it almost gives permission or makes it a little more easier for the public school system to adopt something like that. It's hard for them to be entrepreneurs in education. That's just not the easiest thing to do in that public school setting. But let's talk about the, the kids that are natively digital now. Mm -hmm. are, are they engaging in different ways than children were even five and 10 years ago? You've got a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old, right? Is there a noticeable difference between how they engage? I absolutely think so. I think my girls are already teaching me tricks <laughs> in technology that... Uh, that I didn't know were possible. I think that technology and design of technology in a thoughtful and intentional way can play a really critical role in the, the world of education. When you think about computational thinking, which is really an, an underlying area of focus that we're learning is more and more important and critical as we move forward. Some of the games that are being played when you look at the simulations and the worlds that are being created in programs like blocks or other very common applications that are being seen out there. There's some really exciting technology in the world of educational robotics. And so when you look at what Lego Education is another example has done with Mindstorms and with Lego WeDo, an area that I spent some time professionally working on, there is such a important need to integrate that technology piece, the, the T in STEAM, into the way that students are learning, help level the playing field in many regards as well, right? Like we always hoped that virtual learning or online learning could be the silver bullet and it could democratize education for everyone because everyone has access to it. And I think that what most parents and everyone from the pandemic would agree 
when we got to try 100% virtual education is that that's probably not the solution by itself, <laughs> but some hybrid of using that technology and supplementing what's happening in an in-person setting and environment is extremely important and, and technology can play an uh, exciting role there. Yeah, I think we've all been forced into hybrid roles and we've realized that there's some things that have changed for the better, but this is really great stuff. So if you could just speak to us for just a second about, I know both of you have been on all aspects of that philanthropic community. You've been the donor, you've been the board member, you've been the community engagement officer, and now you're the leadership, mm -hmm. right? What have you learned throughout that journey that you would pass on to somebody else or what do you wish your beginning donor self knew when you started that you know today? I think take the leap, get involved, take the time to determine what that personal mission statement is, what that spark is for you and start working on it. And as you get involved, be thoughtful, take the experiences and skills that you have that are unique and find ways that you can meaningfully contribute to organizations. I think there's no one path that everyone takes and that's a good thing. Sometimes the biggest hurdle is that folks don't feel like they know how to start or I wanna get involved, but I'm not sure I have time to do this. And just prioritizing that this is an opportunity that you individually have to make such a significant impact. And that can be incrementally built on as you grow and progress. And as Shalia said, the size of the donation is not the critical element. It's that you have made this decision, that you are prioritizing your time and your dollars to give back and to make an impact in your community. And then to use those experiences to share with others around you who were probably in the same boat, who were thinking there's more that I want to do, but I'm not sure how to do that. And so how do you then activate your network and involve your group to also get involved by showing them what you have done? Yeah, I think when we talk to our successful clients who've really bridged that philanthropic gap, it's the first part of the process is finding an organization that you think you connect with. The second part is you giving that organization a reason to connect with you. Mm. Tell them who you are, why you're excited, why you're interested. I think the donors that we've had and the clients that we've had that have been able to share their mission statement with an organization, tell them, here's who I am, here's what I want, here's what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. And not only that, here's how long I think I'm going to be contributing to your organization. This isn't a one-time thing for me. That's the most powerful thing, but then there's that, you said it so well earlier, Andy, you talked about the obligation to become better informed about the organization that you're working with, or you felt that need. And I think that is so true. There's so many of us that are working with an organization and we don't know everything we could about that organization. We start, we connect, we work in a part of it, but we don't take that next step. We're not inquisitive enough to ask that next question and get that education. Andy nailed it. But I think one of the parts we don't talk about a lot is be prepared for the joy that comes from giving 
to an organization or a cause that moves you deep down in your soul. I mean, there's research that says that when you give, it is on levels of just experiencing euphoria. And there's a reason why we get that giddy when we support organizations that we love is because we are making possible opportunities of transformation in ways that we cannot do alone, right? So when we're supporting the organizations that are doing the work that we're really passionate about, or we learn about what they're doing and we think is cool, it does it. And I think that's also important too. It, it We want it to be a passion because that's what makes that relationship grow. But even if it's something that you think is really cool, that first act of giving, whether of your time or your treasure, there's so much joy that comes from that. And and I think that that's something to be really prepared for that I don't know that we talk a lot about when we talk about philanthropy. We really are talking about the impact that you're going to make, but that impact that happens within you is super special. Also, and that's okay too. That's so, that's <laughs> absolutely. And I think specifically with your clients, James, and in, in understanding that it's people who are thinking about the, the impact they want to make beyond their lifetime, even if that's it within the plan, getting involved now and learning more about the organization that you are going to impact for years to come is a gift for you. It's a gift for them. I mean, to be able to understand the dollars and the support that's coming to them in the future is from this person that cared about the organization and its mission so much that they're taking the time to get to know them now. That is a gift to that organization that transcends that future legacy support. And in other times that we've had a chance to work together, I mean, I have grown tremendously from donors who we're not giving right now necessarily, giving in the future. And that has been so meaningful for the organization, but it has led to impact giving that may not have been possible if they did not speak up and get to know the organization today. So I think that's really an important point and looking at organizations that are a part of the fabric of the city. We're one of the most visited cultural institutions in the city of Austin. We're going nowhere. We're two years away from our 40th year anniversary. And so what does it mean to invest in institutional organizations in a place that you call home, in a place that you love, whether it's in Austin or anywhere else across the country or the globe? I think that's the power of philanthropy, the joy and the power of it. It's a gift to have you both here, and I appreciate your time so much. Love the work that you're doing. If you could just give our listeners some contact information, how can they learn more about the Thinkery and uh, the programs that you guys are bringing about? Oh, I am so happy to answer this question. So you can visit us at thinkeryaustin.org and visit our website. You can learn all about the great programmings that we talk to. You can click on support, and that's where you can actually give to Thinkery very easily. I think there are a number of ways to give beyond just giving online. And I would love to talk to anybody who wants to explore those operations. They can contact me directly, sfox, like the animal, at thinkeryaustin.org. Additionally, we're on all the social media platforms. Our handle is at thinkeryatxatx. They can also reach out to the general info at thinkeryaustin.org email. But we love to hear from anyone and everyone. So definitely reach out. And we just thank you so much for this time, James. And that brings us to the end of episode number four. Thank you so much, Annie and Shalea, for your time and expertise. I think everyone who's listening is going to draw some perspective and some motivation from the conversation that we've had today. So really thank you very much for that. There are always so many great takeaways that you could take from a really meaningful conversation. 
For me, I took away three from today's uh, podcast that I'd like to share here at our conclusion. Number one, it's crucial that you show up both in your community and for your community. Second, true engagement only happens at the speed of trust. And organizations and donors have a role that they can both play to help build that trust. And lastly, philanthropy is about mindset, passion, and engagement. It's not simply about access to resources. You can make a difference. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation, and hopefully within it you'll find that motivational spark you need to energize your giving and maximize your impact. Thank you so much for listening and engaging with us. And as always, we'd like to say that we can only do our best work when you are here to listen. So thank you.